0: Hello, and welcome to What Are Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what are points, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, today is Monday, July 20th, and we have our recurring Republican National Security Advisor Nicholas Rodman here. Howdy. Howdy and we also have karen artist and professional mouth noise maker over here can you speak closer to your microphone maybe you
1: can't oh, okay let me do it can you hear it oh now? that's a lot
0: better yeah yeah I, I lied about
1: being a podcaster these are not the mouth sounds i'm normally paid for
0: mouth sound maker mouth noise, mouth maker, right noise. so nick question for you um well actually let's leave it in with this um since the last i'd say about a month ago we talked about police reform, a lot has changed, or a lot sort of hasn't changed in some places, but also has changed. So the House passed a bill with a lot of different reforms, but the Senate still has struggled to do anything. I think that's just sort of dead on arrival at this point, unless the House has changed. But then a lot of local communities have made some changes. I know the New York City slashed its budget. Uh, The police budget was $6 billion. I think now it's something like $5 billion, which is still a huge Amount of police um, equipment and things like that, but um, not really though. There's um, and then now um, there's just been more of the uh, the same old police antics, you could call it. Um, recently, a couple of days ago, two, um, they I think it ended up they were from the c- custom and border patrol, but two police officers were seen arresting. An, un- an unmarked car people in Portland I think and then now there's all these protests about the autonomous zone there the autonomous zone in Seattle as well I know the city council of Seattle has committed to cutting the police budget by 50% which is a huge commitment and I, I know it's sparking some sort of protests or controversy in Seattle Nick you are on the ground there How have you been in the autonomous zone I could see uh, you in a tent down there I
2: have um I, uh, a friend, friend of mine from college uh, is potentially moving down here in a couple of weeks, and we were scouting out uh, a place for him to live in Capitol Hill, which is a neighborhood where the autonomous zone was set up. Um, I, I hate to say it, I think the autonomous zone has been disbanded because um, we ventured about one or two blocks into the formerly uh, the former Republic of. People's Republic of Chaz, uh, and did not encounter any border patrol or any checkpoints or whatever. Um,
0: and so, so, what are your thoughts, Nick, about um, the changes that have started to happen in Seattle? Uh,
2: I don't. I don't think much actually has changed here. Uh, I think the Portland case. Uh, I know that they're. I'm not. I haven't been following it that closely, but I know that the the governor. Uh, And I think there's there's an internal DOJ investigation going on to it, and and I think there was a memo that leaked out in the New York Times within DHS uh, saying that the federal law enforcement officials in in Portland were, like, not properly trained for, like, domestic disturbance cases, I guess, that would be the thing, and that, that, that was leaked out several days ago in the New York Times. I haven't been following it since, but... I don't. I don't. I'm not as familiar with like what the repercussions are going to be in Seattle, but I know. Um, I mean, the, the Chaz I think was kind of polarizing. I think it definitely, um, you know, unfortunately ended in, on a sad note with like a I think two or th- two or three violent shootings, and then I think a a, a fatal shooting of a 14 year old. Um, and I think that kind of just sort of in the in the eye of the public in, in Seattle kind of put it put an end to it. But yeah.
0: So what are your um, what are your thoughts on sort of the at least the symbolic presence of things like that? Do you think that they've made an effect of sort of shifting the needle towards some sort of police reform?
3: No.
2: Uh, Not not in that way. I think if you're my my version of police reform would be like certainly an increase in accountability, body cameras, um, whether or not I am not in favor of abolishing the police. um, I I think that's incredibly short sighted. I think.
3: Is anyone in favor of abolishing the police or is that uh, just the Republicans? Yeah, for
1: sure. No, definitely. Absolutely. Abolishing the police. Yes, truly abolishing the police. No more police.
0: Okay, so wait, favors. let's talk about that. How would that what what would the first steps toward abolishing the police look like? Or what or Well or, if you or,
1: actually want to talk about literal first steps towards abolishing the police, I personally believe that the first steps towards abolishing the police actually involve creating resources from some budget. I guess you don't have to pick the police budget if you don't want. Another great one would just be like the broader federal government military budget. There's lots of places where our general, broader federal budgets are poorly organized. Mm-hmm. If we actually had more money for the kinds of resources that people need to survive, that would make a difference in crime. What
2: would you cut from the federal military budget?
1: Wouldn't well, I'm not. I uh, this is going to be a really fun conversation because. If you're talking about what is the first budget thing to do versus why would we want abolition, what would be the purpose of abolition, and how would it actually be organized socially, they're just different conversations. Don't believe what I believe about abolition. It doesn't make any sense to talk about which part of the budget would you change numerically and why, because if you really think about how the financial services world (laughs) has transformed the way that we even deal with value, like we all know that this stuff functions on speculative margins and lots of stuff is made up and the federal bank has lots of control over what actually costs and is valued at what. So changing our values as a society is a completely different conversation than like, what do we write in the budget this year?
0: Can I bring up one specific example? So we have we talked about this, um, in a, a previous podcast, but so it was, so part of the problem, it seems to be with the militarization of our police departments comes from something called the Defense Department Program the 1033. 1033. Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, yes. so this is very practical, and I think that we should sort of talk about or think about it more deeply, and that is that <clears throat> the money machine seems to work from these, whatever it is, organizations that either produce, in some of the cases, it's ridiculous shit, like bayonets and grenade launchers, that they then sell to our military, which then trickles down again into our police departments at no cost and this program it seems like there has been vague conversations on the left for ending it but it's it's not it doesn't seem to be completely on the table so
1: but this is because if you don't have bigger conversations about fundamental values, you can get trapped quibbling over little tiny numbers forever. Because the more you look into budgets, the more you're going to find stuff like that. The more you learn about defense contractors, the more you learn about where profit can be scraped and how it's being funneled and the relationships between lobbyists and the politicians that serve them. I mean, these <laughs> these things have like, there's like an endlessness to the rabbit hole you could fall into on that. But if we don't actually have the values that we believe in organized around like healing and focusing on giving people the resources they need versus playing some kind of catch up game about saying, well, there are all these existing criminals, how do we punish them? Right? Like, what's the way to punish these criminals best? That's not the conversation that we should be having. People always want to talk about how to change the police with, like, the body cameras and the accountability. And theoretically, it sounds good. It sounds good to say, well, we should just know when they're doing the wrong thing. But the real question that should be asked is, why are we investing police with so much power in the first place? And that's not just a budgetary question. That's also a symbolic question, how we think of police and policing. Has anybody read Alex Vitale's The End of Policing? No. No. It's a wonderful, beautiful book. I recommend you read it. It's not that long. It's kind of a maybe 130 type pages, 10 ish chapters. And it's structured really nicely because he talks about each different kind of like arm of policing. Like there's the policing in the war on drugs, policing of the border, policing of sex work, school to uh, school to prison pipeline. And then talks about reforms that have already been tried and explains why those reforms don't work. And it always comes back to the goals. And that's why it's called the end of policing. Notice it's not called abolish the police. He said that the publisher wanted him to call it that and he refused because he's not literally just talking about the end of policing as like it's going to end now but like the ends the means the, the the goals not just the means the goals what is the goal of policing who is it meant to protect how like what tools do they use and like to what end so it's like we talk a lot about the tools like body cameras and guns and militarization we don't talk about the why's enough we don't talk about who policing is meant to protect And and how those tools grow from that. Because I didn't even know until I read this book exactly how, like just how much policing as a modern system came out of, I mean, I knew about slave patrols, but so much of it came out of strike breaking. It was a response to industrialization because there was such a high concentration of workers in these places with like small numbers of owners and the balance was off and the resources weren't there. And... There was the ability to gather. like They had all of these public plazas to gather in. The design of cities was starting to make the threat of the working class mobilizing kind of like real, just as the conditions were getting worse and worse and worse. So modern policing that started in like London or even in the Philippines with like some American military influence in policing there, that that came out of an industrialized, it's a response to industrialization. It's a response to the deprivation of people forcing them to demand more and better for themselves than being completely crushed by the people with power. The owner is just crushing that desire. And it's just that you see that fight play out throughout the 20th century. Every time workers try to get more rights, police are what are used to crush that. So companies, companies can hire their own police to come in and club people into submission to working for them for the wages that they demand. I mean, if that doesn't sound foundationally rotten, I don't know what, you know, because like everything that someone says about abolition, we're like, well, what do we do with the murderers? As though I'm talking about a fantasy, like the fantasy of a world with no murderers. I look at what people kind of want to do to policing to just sort of tweak it and rub, you know, make shiny, clean, give it a little like cool veneer to it. Like, I just see that as a fantasy, like that you could make it function better just by demanding, quote, accountability as though you can force someone else to be accountable to you when the truth is is they're actually meeting the goals that are being demanded of them we're not the ones really demanding these goals well i mean okay so well
4: so actually sorry karen i just had a quick question um i was wondering if there are any kind of modern policing models that you could point to right now that are you know if not necessarily fully aligned with what you're talking about at least further down the road that might be you know, more of an intermediate step, because I hear what you're saying. Um, I just think that's a big ask. So I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything you could point to as like a stepping stone of something that's realistic that we should move towards.
1: I totally get that that you're saying that. And there are actually indigenous models of something called restorative justice, which restorative justice is considered by many people to be a component of a future without policing and in many ways like a transition to a different form of justice. It's a non-punitive form of justice. Like our justice system is just obsessed with vengeance and punishment. I mean, you can look at that and see it in every detail. Like even the difference between civil and criminal cases. You bring a civil case against someone, it's you versus them. You bring a criminal case, it's the state versus you or it seems the like whole federal government.
0: Scandinavian countries as are always brought up, do a pretty good job of um
1: well, I hear, that they, justice. I hear they have nice prisons, but the indigenous model doesn't look to prison at all, because what restorative justice does is it actually it's victim focused. That's the idea. Victim focused models, which look at what harm was caused and how can we fix this current harm? and then discuss in concert with a perpetrator of harm, how to prevent future harm. Like what would cause this person to stop committing harm? I know that some people are just gonna jump in and be like, well, some people are just evil and some people wanna murder. And okay, maybe there will be a future of this tiny insignificant sliver of people who are gonna wanna murder and who are gonna wanna kill even when we're in a restorative justice model. But being in that model is how we're going to develop the solutions to deal with those people. While we're in a carceral model, we cannot imagine what we would do with that person. We would think of replacements like, I don't know, exile them to a private island so they can't hurt anybody anymore, but they're not in prison. Or put them in a Scandinavian prison, where it's basically just kind of like somewhat secluded, but mostly they're fine, and they're maybe going to learn rehabilitation somehow. Maybe there's vocation training. But the real replacement, the real solutions that are offered by abolitionists and people who don't believe in police have to do with like giving people jobs, giving people stipends to live off of. It's not just... People don't have money, so they go steal food for their families. But that people are living in poverty and in cycles of violence that cause a variety of cascading maladaptive mechanisms to try to survive, either within that smaller local community or within the broader community. And many of those adaptations are criminalized.
0: It seems like these changes are going to have to happen at a very local level. Because at the national level, I mean, look at, for instance, just look at the situation we're in right now. The Democratic Party seems like it's going to the left all the time. At the last second, pivots right back into the middle. And now we have Joe Biden, who is a huge advocate for police unions and like, isn't, has come out not, not even against qualified immunity. Doesn't seem to like really understand or maybe just like feels... I think his strategy is just to stay as mum as possible so that he just creates no stirs at all, allows Donald Trump to do his own little circus and skates in without actually having to confront any of these difficult issues. Classic mm. liberal.
2: So <laughs> I have a question about Roger Stone. How would Roger Stone be treated in a restorative justice model?
1: Well, taking specific actors, again, that's something that's difficult because talking about a restorative punishment, or excuse me, talking about restorative justice when you're so used to punishment, it's like, would it, what are you looking for? Are you looking for Roger Stone to be able to commit less harm? Would that be a goal? What would be the goal of, quote, dealing with him? What's our goal?
2: Mm, That's a good question. Um,
1: Yeah. To not have him try to break
3: democracy. (laughs) That would be a goal. To not have Rogers try to break democracy and collude with our largest enemy.
1: Yeah. I mean, but let's think about all of the white collar crimes that are happening because people like Roger Stone have the power that they have. He's caught doing one of those things that we can call a crime and then put in a court, but all of the other crimes against humanity and other various just oppressive colonial things we do on purpose as America to advance America. I mean, things that are not even like, like no party comes out against or whatever just like you know all the like deportations and drone strikes and everything that we are doing in the middle East all of that stuff everyone in government supposedly supports it except Wait. the tiny minority
0: question Nick do yeah. you can you do you think that policing has gotten out of control like when you see the videos of, of mm-hmm. how po- protests have been dealt with just fundamentally do you think it has reached a point that is it, I mean you don't look at those videos and it feels like yeah, these countries that videos. you that you that you so so frequently talk about instituting American values abroad, and those videos don't do. look like some of those countries.
2: Um, no, that's a that's a valid point. I, I I do think that the George Floyd. I mean, this is just introspectively the George Floyd killing. Um, it did change. I think a lot of ways. So I remember watching like the Eric Garner uh, killing, the Philando Castile shooting in Minnesota, in Minnesota. Uh, uh, and, and they look, they just look. These videos were painful to watch, but out my my brain sort of was like, okay, these are one-offs. Like these are these are just it's not like common policing. These are just one-off examples. And I think the George Floyd killing was more of like a catalyst in my brain to say, like, hey, this is, these aren't one-offs. This is a serious problem that, like, uh, I mean, I know most of you probably won't agree with me saying this. But, like, I suddenly don't think every police officer is bad and seeking to oppress people in their community. I just think that we live in an extremely violent society uh, do we actually, or do we live in
3: that, like the least violent society in the history of humankind?
2: Uh, well, in, in America, I mean, c- relative to other nations, I, we, we are, that's true. Like, violent crime is sort of statistically down for the most part. It's probably had a few upticks, but.
3: Statistically, um, yeah, I mean, it's like massively down, right? And that's the yeah, whole point. I mean, just juxtaposition your of your the actual of history, crime is down. And I don't know, let's just take the last 30 years. Violent crime, massively down. Militarization of police, massively up. Yeah, I don't think they're actually correlated though, because now the police just feel like they're like these little crazy private armies.
2: Yeah, well, I think that I don't, I don't feel comfortable. The with, problem like, is, we had an Iraq war. Detaining the Republicans protesters. To keep I don't Iraq feel comfortable with, with like so
3: they just start sending money to the police. What? I said the problem is we had an Iraq war that was a disaster, oh, and the God, Republicans you're... wanted to keep funding it, and so they no. said, you know what we can do. Fund it and then sell all the military gear to the police. Well, and that's so wrong because we didn't sell
2: out. any of the MRAPS to the police. They were donated for the most part. Okay,
3: we donated. donated. That sounds like, like a great idea. No, an actually, an I mean, no, contract, like,
2: no, So when when Iraq went south, as in when like things started to go poorly in that conflict, like uh, the two? military developed these armored vehicles called MRAPS that have V-shaped hulls. The V, the, the, they protect the occupants against improvised explosive devices that that blow them up. Um, these vehicles were procured at an incredibly rapid pace. The military did not have the industrial base to build them, like, one type all at once. So they literally fielded, like, four or five separate variants of them. And over time, the military decided to down-select into one or two variants. Um, there's a, co- a type called the MATV that's made in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and there's another type called... Um, well, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. But definitely but, but the long aspect. story short is they down they had they had all these excess MRAPs that were cost prohibitive and they scrapped a lot of them on site in Afghanistan and Iraq or donated them to the Iraqi government and the ones that they took back the military is no longer using, they donated it to like there's a BAE came in as one of the types, they donated it to whatever law enforcement had a requirement
1: to buy them. Thank God the the thank, God the U, needed, the thank God the the LAUSD no. got one. Thank God the school district of of Los Angeles County got one because, they definitely needed a tank. Definitely needed a tank. It's also wild. They're not, they're not in my considered tanks. tanks. They're. In my reading
0: they, they uh, the government the military gives police department bayonets. What the? Why would you need uh, a bayonet?
2: I don't, I don't actually. Is that where? Where would you get that information? I,
0: I read it in one of these articles. There, I'll go Google. No,
2: How would I mean, any okay, of these so details be true the or the false? Military, like, this. Doesn't really use bayonets, really. I mean, they're, they're, maybe the Marine Corps trains on them or something, but they're I just say,
0: hold like, on. When you when you hear issue. stuff like this, it becomes pretty obvious that there's some sort of um, it's some sort of lobbyist backdoor deal. This is an economics thing. Like, there's some company that has a contract with the government that sells them ten thousand bayonets a year, and those bayonets go from the whatever warehouse in whatever Fort Confederate General to a police department. So wait, question all right, here's another here's a pivot. When Karen, as I've gone to some protests, suggested I use Signal and I've started using Signal more, because I really what is what are the odds someone is reading my text messages?
1: It's not about someone reading your text messages. The reason that I suggested you should go on Signal is because the police can and will use conversations in your text messages, like, should you be arrested? Like, if you got swept up in one of these protests, and then they got me from you, and then from me, they got someone else who's, like, actually doing some kind of covert revolutionary stuff, I don't even know who all the people I'm texting on Signal, what they're doing, because many of them I'm connected to through friends of friends. So it's not you or me is gonna get our text messages read by the CIA or the... Well,
0: my was... I wonder what what the odds of that is. What are the odds my texts are sometimes just read at just like a random level at the NSA? Some guy or... Theoretically,
3: never anymore. Theoretically, never anymore. I trust the federal government that they don't do that anymore.
1: I mean, if they have a subpoena and they ask Apple for your text messages, they're supposed to be able to get access to some things with with cause, right? There's some things they can't get access to and some things they can't. I don't think there's like a big blanket yes, they can read it all, or no, they can't read anything. They can still read things if they subpoena them in the course of a criminal investigation, as it now stands.
2: I mean, are you texting with people in, like, the southern tribal regions of Yemen? Like, if you do that, yeah, there's a small chance that your text messages might get picked up in some, some investigation or some in monitoring or anything like that. But that, I mean, even in that case, the, the, the federal government does have to tread very lightly when, you know, quote-unquote, reading your text messages.
0: Got it. Okay, and I there's just. FISA, there's FISA, there's FISA
2: courts, and there's several layers that they cannot just, you know, wake up one morning and decide to read Seth's text messages
0: legally. So wait, legally, Nick, yeah. tell us, tell us a juicy. They can do whatever they want.
2: <laughs> just like, I don't have it. About what? Like,
0: I don't know. Give us something.
2: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I.
0: I thought you said you had a juicy tidbit about Putin.
2: Oh, talking about <laughs> Russia. <laughs> Well, Do we have had to switch to surgery? <laughs> in 2009, with Berlusconi, Silvio Berlusconi.
0: They had That's, it together?
2: Yeah, they had it together. That
1: allegedly. is so cute. Yeah. Seth, <laughs> oh, there's that. You want to get plastic surgery together? <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, uh, there's another uh, story. Third eye. Um, so, Putin was meeting with the Spanish prime minister at the time named Jose Maria Aznar. And Jose Maria Aznar was meeting him at his dacha, which is like a sort of Russian country house. And he opens, he like, His delegation was, like, arriving at the dacha. The door opens, and it's Silvio Berlusconi in a bathrobe. That's the other tidbit I had.
0: I like it.
2: Juicy.
0: Did he drop the bathrobe?
1: Uh, that, I don't know. Juicier.
0: (laughs) I heard he has, like, a prosthetic penis, right? He has one of those penises that you have to, like, press a button for it to become erect. Berlusconi? Yeah,
1: so so. I, I definitely didn't agree to this topic of conversation, so let's just... Move okay. on to something more interesting. <laughs>
0: All right, fine. All right, so <laughs> the other thing, a the other thing that is, uh, penis. happened recently in the world is um this Harper's letter and the the rise and prominence of the debate around cancel culture. So what does Ben? You seem like you might have a hot take on this. What are your What are your thoughts on the uh just the letter in general and the backlash against the letter.
4: Uh, I don't really have a hot take on this, to be honest, except it sounds like a lot of these people are just whining for the sake of whining. Like, don't say stupid shit and you'll be fine. I don't. I don't you don't know. think
2: it's a constitutional right to say stupid shit? Of course it's of course a constitutional it is. right to say it. No it one's is. saying
4: that you can't say it, but you're also not free from the consequences of saying, saying stupid shit. Yeah, nowhere I'm really tired of con- people. Yeah. yeah, nowhere in the Constitution does it say. I can say whatever the fuck I want, and then no one can call me out on it, and no one can, you know, decide maybe you are I'm an idiot and not to listen to me anymore. There's no, like, you have no right to that.
1: This is actually has an important connection to abolition and talking about transformative justice or restorative justice versus punishment. Because, frankly, consequences are not the same thing across the board. There's different kinds of consequences. The Constitution protects you against consequences exacted by the federal government against you the, the constitution doesn't protect free speech meaning you can say whatever you want and literally nothing can ever happen to you because of it or that if you have good intentions then that extra means that you can never suffer any consequences for saying anybody to anything for ever any, any reason because like what we have to actually look at is harm done And I do think most of the people are just complaining because most of them just want to say what they're saying free of consequence. But people on the other side of cancel culture are also completely full of shit because you can't just take every individual thing said out of context and build a culture around that. Yeah, Yeah, like you can't build a cultural understanding around every individual thing somebody says. Nobody (laughs) who is involved in cancel culture has any interest in what I'm interested in, which is keeping the people who do harm from doing harm healing the harm that has happened for, to people. I mean, a lot of toxic people are, are, are toxic because of bad things they've experienced in their lives. We can't make suffering disappear completely, but if we let people talk more about places of pain that they come from, talk about the consequences for how these conversations change our lives and change the way we think about them and the way we do things and have they have material consequences sometimes, Like, I think there should be more open dialogue from both sides, acknowledging that people can say things But that things can have consequences after they're said.
2: Karen, I I, I don't mean to interrupt, but so the restorative justice discussion actually got me thinking. Um, I was recently the victim of a petty crime. I. um, Oh, God. Ellie and I bought (laughs) bicycles. What's that? uh, My wife and I bought bicycles. Okay. It's like, I'm not an outdoor person. And we moved to Seattle like a year ago. And (laughs) I just complicated. There's a lot of cultural changes here that I'm not used to, like the outdoor activity. And we bought bikes and I went biking. I like decked out my bike with like a water bottle holder, um, a kryptonite lock holder, and then has like a super duper flashlight light thing on it now just for safety so I biked to this neighborhood called Fremont to pick up. Uh, there's just some like garden supply store to pick up some small thing, and I locked my bike, and the I put my kryptonite lock on it and I, this little chain thing around the front wheel, and then 90 seconds later, after I walked out of the store, my back wheel was removed and stolen.
3: Why did oh, you lock up your back wheel? I Isn't forgot. That kind to. of on you. But I didn't know that
2: was a thing. That I've heard of people stealing the front wheel, just not the back wheel.
3: Well, if I leave ten dollars out and someone takes it, is that my fault or your fault? Yeah. But it so Where does this go?
2: Okay, if you could get if you get if you could get a bike wheel back. If
1: you could get your bike wheel back, would you be cool? Is that cool? Yes. Are we good? I don't I didn't file a I'm not gonna waste
2: the police's (laughs) anyone's time by filing a what I did is I thought about it, I stood there and I thought about it, and I was like, "What, what would I accept? Like, if I could meet the perpetrator of this crime and and just ask for my wheel back, I would be okay. That's fine. I I wish that person, that little like hipster dude, running the underground bicycle part black market. <laughs> like, I, I in some ways I admire the professionalism involved in the theft because it was I was literally <laughs> gone for about 90 seconds." So, in some ways, I would like to see how that person developed those skills. Wait, but why two, didn't
0: he steal your super-duper flashlight on the bike? No, they didn't. He didn't steal anything except for the rear
1: wheel.
2: I'll, show, I'll send you the picture.
1: Well, obviously, this person's made, like, an assessment that there is some trade in single wheels that, in terms of the efficiency, he's able to achieve. Yeah, it was, stealing them obviously the wheels the thing for them to steal maybe there aren't people who want to buy your fancy flashlight therefore it no. is inefficient to steal even if it's worth more money well,
2: and um, i'm in favor of restorative justice in that case like i would be willing to meet with that person shake that person's hand and kind of have like a like a hipster ipa with that person or whatever that's uh-huh. what they drink i assume ipa like a hazy pa or whatever
1: <laughs> yeah for sure and then But do you have a question about what what happens to the other person, like what happens to the criminal or what happens to you?
2: So I watched Mindhunter, which is a show (laughs) about the FBI, like behavioral um, agents. And I don't want to have restorative justice with like a Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson or the uh, people who chopped up his mom cut off his okay, mom's yes. head or something when
1: you say you don't want to have a restorative justice do you mean you don't want to have a tribunal where you sit and talk to him
2: no i i don't think those people
1: i, I think there's just
0: do you believe in the death
1: penalty Do you think you should be punished do you think people should, should suffer punishment for
2: yeah kind of and i think it's not i think there's problems with our judiciary system definitely there's there's drastic need for reform and over criminalization in a lot of ways but like you just have to admit, like, even in Norway, like Anders Brevik, the guy who just like murdered school children on that island, like they had issues with their nice prison sending this guy who murdered like seventy kids in cold blood. Like, there's just people that commit acts of violence that are so extreme and so in- inhuman that no amount of restoration would be able to Isn't like, like rehabilitate court, or even like should we the, find to the victims.
0: Nick, we isn't our- like the core tenet of every single religion and like world philosophy forgiveness or forgiving people that even they, they commit horrible atrocities that you, you, it's a, it's a, it's a judgment about yourself not about yes. them, yes. how you We are them. not
1: improved. We as people are not improved by that feeling. I understand how you feel. But I, what about I think, public I, safety? I hang on like, like, a second. About, Can I answer well, like the question? Can I answer it as a question? Because you yeah. did already ask it as a question. Law. Sorry, sorry. It, like, because... <laughs> But this is exactly the conversation that always comes up. There is no conversation about if you don't want prisons, what happens to child murderers and molesters and rapists and people like that? That is always a question. okay? but I'm going to defer back to what I just said, which is if we didn't develop us without developing a society that values restorative justice and its goals, we aren't going to be able to have these conversations Really? Because people are adapting to the world that they live in. So the desire for vengeance is understandable, but it is not necessary. Vengeance for punishment, desiring that somebody experience the suffering that they gave other people, for them to understand it, we want them to have some kind of empathy. We want them to know how they hurt us. We want them to feel the pain that we felt. We don't want it to feel like we're the only ones who have to feel this pain. People who caused pain should have to feel pain. They shouldn't get away free. Well, guess what? They're not it might look like they are not in pain. They might not look like they have remorse for their crimes. And maybe they don't have what looks like remorse to you. But I promise, it's not a good life. If you, would, if you wouldn't choose that life. People don't really choose that life. We don't choose these lives, okay? We are adapting to the lives that we're given. We have way less choice than we think we have. And creating a society that is founded on wanting to heal the harm of the people who are most likely right now to grow up and become murderers, same people who are most likely to grow up and kill themselves with guns, poor men who are in this impossible position right now in culture where toxic masculinity is one of the only methods through which you can achieve success in culture. And it's completely destroying you and us and all of us. It's destroying Mm -hmm. everybody. It's not good for anyone. So even though it feels right in this system that is super fucked up to exact some kind of vengeance, really what we're actually all looking for is a decrease in harm. And we just don't have the imagination as a society to think about what that would look like, what decreasing harm would look like. Because let me tell you, when I think about people on the street who currently are experiencing chronic homelessness and the millions of of New York City people who walk by them every single day, every single day, since I was a child, I have been deeply affected by seeing homeless folks on the street. But I had to stop caring at a certain point, as much as I cared as a child, at least, to just go about my day. I just couldn't really care that much. And I couldn't even envision or imagine what the solution would be to deal with them. But in the 90s, Giuliani came around and just threw them all in prison. And let me tell you, there are a lot of New Yorkers right now who are super glad he did that. Who think that this is a better society that we have in New York because it's more orderly. Maybe there's less crime, but there's still chronic homelessness problem. So maybe it's better for some people because society looks more orderly to them, but we're still saying that all of these people with mental illness, with drug abuse issues, who have been violently abused as children, who are experiencing chronic homelessness for decades and decades, what we're really saying is those people are disposable. And if we have a culture where some people are disposable, anybody can become disposable. All you have to do is just cross some arbitrary line. We agree as a culture that murder is a line you cannot cross, but we have made infinite other arbitrary lines to just completely criminalize entire portions of the population. Not just the chronically homeless, but just the generally black and brown. And even young men in general, there's just this tendency towards that. But young black girls, for example, are suspended from preschool four times as much as young white (laughs) girls. So there's just like all these weird places that this disposability problem filters itself into culture and it really limits our imagination about what it would take to put uh, sufficient resources just huge vast amounts of resources to make sure everybody has housing no matter what people don't just not deserve housing because they have mental illness people don't stop deserving housing because they have drug addictions and i honestly at this point i feel the same way about criminals i don't love rapists and murderers but i can't Feel like criminals are as dis- are are disposable anymore because of the way my perspective has broadened to see how this problem is much more foundational than just deciding which crimes are really bad and which aren't.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not, and I don't mean to dismiss. I mean, these are serious issues that our, our society has to deal with. And I think I, I don't mean to dismiss like the need for criminal justice reform, or whatever label you want to put that. But like, there is a need. I recognize that there's a there's a crisis going on that we you know as a society need to value human beings more um I, i i don't it's more the debate i guess in my mind is more about like how you apply these how do you shift from our current model to this more ideal model and whether or not that would actually have the intended outcome um i think that's the debate that i have in my mind or whether or not it'd be I recognize there's a need for some change, but I don't know if it's how you apply that would actually work. And and I'm I'm kind of giving these examples that obviously like everyone, hopefully everyone here is in favor of keeping like a uh, Jeffrey Dahmer in prison and keeping uh you know Ted Bundy who I think is now deceased in prison and stuff like that. But um yeah I, I'm not I see your your point. I definitely see your point. I just think that there's the application of this these reforms I I. I seem to be a little bit more skeptical Um,
1: that's understandable though and I mean part of the problem too is that when you get to this part of the conversation you kind of also have to start talking about the fact that most people who are abolitionists are not capitalists I do not consider myself in any way shape or form a capitalist I can't support what capitalism does to people and to and to life on this planet I don't I don't believe in unfettered free market capitalism that always exists as oligarchic crony capitalism no matter what you do Mm -hmm. um if i could believe in a transitional point it would be democratic socialism would be the current elect what what is possible than our current electoral model and what i think is going to get us on the road to abolition is going to be through socialist proposals like universal health care so something like universal health care 100 covered would just erase a whole section of american suffering we don't actually know what the cascading effects from that would look like so the limited imagination of we don't know if it'll work to me is meaningless when you look at how badly things are working right now because we don't know if it will work <laughs> but it's currently not working currently the mi- pe- people just don't want to people don't want to care about the millions of people who are suffering because this question of what is pragmatic just traps us we're just but- trapped at that question do you, and I guess you've probably heard this argument before, like what,
2: um, you know, I personally consider myself to be a capitalist, but what What would, like, what would be a model that's been applied, uh, you know, even outside of the healthcare debate, but like, are there systems of government out there that exist? Um, I mean, I guess capitalism isn't necessarily a system of government, but like, are there countries that have applied these systems effectively, uh, and have, you know, greatly improved uh, outcomes.
0: Well, America applied those, these systems just 70 years ago, until the stupid fucking Republicans in, like, the 70s and 80s stripped all those systems away.
2: Are talking about, it's like, well, those systems?
1: So, some of those reforms were pretty helpful, those socialist New Deal-type things. They were doing what do the New, New Deal, also like had
2: redlining be? in it. I mean, that's another... Thing that done that was, poorly doesn't mean you
1: know, not worth doing <laughs> I think didn't we just like <laughs> I think that's the
0: craziest part of our history is that there's just uh, like Karen was saying a little bit earlier is that the, the intertwined history of the police, labor movements and civil right movements as well there's like just a 40 year chunk of history that has been so distorted by the right it feels like that mm-hmm. People get a. The, people growing up today have no idea that the actual stuff that happened. Like I, you have arguments with people. I, I just remember so frequently growing up, having conversations with people where they were just adamant that the U.S. had the highest taxes in the on the planet, and they were trying to explain to me. How the U.S. has the highest taxes on the planet, and and like you, income you can't, payroll, didn't, yeah, exactly. Like, you what, what type of tax? Corporate. A lot of people don't understand the nuance of of what of what those conversations go into. There's been such a conver- there's been such a um goal of the branding on the conservative side of our country's politics to label the changes that were that have been made in America that actually have been beneficial. So like, you know labor reforms, things like that. Um, The infrastructure that uh, the U.S. used to have before we stopped funding things like the EPA or sort of um, social programs. And there's so many people that honestly believe that um, the American system is strangled by the amount of, I guess, government planning, where it seems like if you just do the most basic research on countries around the world, you realize that we're somewhere in the middle and we have an an international reputation for having some of the sloppiest implementation of these programs. So like the conversation is so foreign from the actual case that's happening in America that it seems like foreign countries look at us and they don't even know how to, it's like we're a joke around the world for our political dysfunction because of how gaslighted the country has become on one side of things.
4: And I think, well, just to follow up on that, I think it's kind of notable that the two biggest programs that are generally exempt from this kind of criticism on the right are Social Security and Medicare, which are socialist programs that work super well. They're very popular among the elderly uh, white folks, and they work much better than the alternatives, right? Like Medicare is overall a great program. It's really popular because it's a million times better than insurance through your employer which is just fucked up in a million different ways um and yeah so you know shit like protecting birds and trees and all that other crap but you know you socialists better not come for my medicare right,
1: Nick, do you support can, repealing citizens united you're, you're still there audio right
4: oh yeah sorry, you can sorry, hear.
1: sorry i'm looking at you brought up
2: a point what? about the epa's budget I mean, it does fluctuate by administration, but overall, I think over the course of its creation, what, it was created in seventy seventy three by Richard Nixon, by the way. Yeah, um, to
1: shut up activists from demanding even bigger uh, changes. Go on. Well,
2: I, I, he still... <laughs> I just can't, can't let anybody... Give Tricky Dick the, the credit. credit it, so um, he, like, thought of it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I think... Overall, the EPA's budget has fluctuated from administration to administration, but the budgetary trend of the agency itself has gone up since its creation. I would put it that way. Um, the, hey Nick, does do it outstrip inflation? Citizens
1: United. Do you, would you support repealing Citizens United, or do you think Citizens United was a good law? How, so, was your stance?
2: I have a. Uh, what was a court case, right? It wasn't necessarily a law, um,
1: but the, the Citizens United decision.
2: Yeah. So complicated i think that um i'm gonna give you like an ambiguous answer i guess <laughs> to that question i think that like the supreme court struck that down because they felt that it was i mean my understanding of it is that it, it, it when you limit monies coming into politics overall um the supreme court kind of viewed that as like an expression of free speech and even with like McCain, when McCain-Feingold was the law of the land, essentially that led to the creation of like 527s and these like 501c4s that circumvented McCain-Feingold. And I think that it's it's sort of like whatever you do, there's going to be money in politics. There's going to be people using money to express themselves in politics. Um, Unless we have
1: free, like publicly financed elections. There's such a thing as public elections, you know yeah. this, right? Yeah. And I know, you know that, that I know the, the financing the- is really just about purchasing advertising the vast majority of the time. There's going to be campaign fundraising for like field operations and like canvassers and stuff like that. But the billions and billions and billions of dollars, it's just going a gigantic swaths of advertising time. That's what the major thing yeah. is. So changing <laughs> the rules around corporations and their ability to buy advertising time would have an actually direct influence on rich people's ability to just purchase political power. It would have an effect combined with rules changing the revolving door around lobbyists and corporations. I think those two acts together could make enough of a change in our government structure soon that would Mm -hmm. allow actual majority influences and opinions to Go forward. I mean, gerrymandering is the other side of things that makes it very difficult, right? So gerrymandering, the money and the politics and the lobbyists are like the trifecta of keeping actual public opinion from determining what happens in our government, which is how we know we don't live in a democracy. It just looks like one.
2: We're in a federal republic. I mean, I I think democracy is used to deem our (laughs) government, like, I truly think that Mm -hmm. the government is, like, respondent to the citizenry i think that like there's historic examples like we, we're not a perfect democracy there's no no such thing but i think that we over the course of time have progressed to a point where more and more americans have more and more rights and we're more and more free i don't think that like i mean you might think under trump we've regressed but i think the institutions for the most part held um you know in spite of crazy shenanigans that are going on right now um
0: To be determined.
1: Yeah,
2: to be
0: determined.
1: Which, Um, but it still also doesn't address the continuing problem of, like, you know, the perpetual underclass. It's whether or not we want to accept that.
0: Nick, do you wanted to say something about Florida? What do you want to say about Florida? Uh,
2: No, I was was thinking of something else, and I forgot what I was going to say. All
0: right, this is the other thing I wanted to turn to before the end of the episode. Yeah. Ben, are you, what are you, uh, as you're approaching your second child, what are you, what lessons are you taking in from... How are you planning?
4: Uh, The number one advice that I can give to any prospective parent is to establish a routine early on. Kids are blank slates. They respond well to routine. Once they sort of lose the anxiety of wondering where the next meal is going to come from, when it's going to be, whether or not you're around, uh, they become a a lot easier. And then the other big thing is sleep train your kid at some point between four and six months. That's the key window that you have to hit. And it kind of sucks. It sucks for, like, a week and a half. But you've got to do it. Your life will improve so dramatically.
0: Does Amelia know what's about to happen? Have y'all, like, prepared her?
4: Uh, she knows that um, in my wife's belly, she'll point at it and say, sister. Um,
1: she's...
4: Yeah, she just turned two. Um, So she... She We moved her into her new room with her big girl bed, so she's not in the crib anymore, and um, it was a little bit of a rough transition, but at this point, she's napping again and sleeping through the night, as per usual. So, I think she's... Are you teaching
2: her a theoretical... Are you teaching her
1: math? Like,
4: <laughs> math stuff? uh not yet no mm-hmm. she's she's starting to she recognizes numbers um she Damn. thinks most numbers i was gonna say i bet she can go two years that's, old that's right, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. That. She's, she's way ahead of me. of me um she's starting to count um but she thinks most numbers are the number nine so nice. that's uh <gasps> that's something we got to get over <laughs>
1: never Why? play the the beatles song uh, <laughs> just
0: kidding what else nick when are you gonna have a kid um
2: hmm uh you're not is, supposed is to recording? ask people that, Seth. Is it's recording? <laughs> All right, we're still recording.
1: Um, Here's I the answer for the public.
2: the children. I'll put it. I <laughs> support <laughs> children. <laughs> the children. That's a I bold I believe stance. the children
1: are our future. Not many
2: Republicans <laughs> will admit that. I mean, I guess I'm a Republican. Yeah, I, I feel know. like
1: Republicans are really into that first nine months, right? The ones where they're inside the woman. They want to control that part. They're really not as interested about the we- other part mostly believe in immaculate conception exactly that makes (laughs) so much sense
2: (laughs) that's how I was born
0: that's our show for the week thank you for listening and again follow us at what our point on twitter and instagram tell all of your friends about us and special thanks to Karen and Nick for joining the show see you next week Stay safe and stay at home.